this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. Welcome to another episode on Anderson's TV. Today, it is my massive pleasure to have Mark Agnesi from Gibson. Thank and, you for having me. Man. And many other YouTube adventures uh, on yes. the show. Yes. It's very cool to have you on. Oh, I'm happy, happy to be here, man. And, and, I, and I, you know, I'm so happy for you that you've, you've clearly, you know, ended up working for uh, a company that you've loved all your life. But let, let's go back to, you know, baby Mark yeah. uh, and talk about, you know, what was it that got you into guitars in the first place? Well, uh, my dad worked in radio, in, mm-hmm. in rock radio. So uh, from a very, very young age, I was at a lot of shows, and I saw a lot of bands and guitar players. And I, I, I'm, if I had to pin it back to one thing, he, he brought home from the station, it was a, a VHS tape of like Poison's greatest <laughs> video hits. <laughs> And I think it was the video for Talk Dirty to Me. Yes. At the beginning, they just run down this row of BC Rich guitars. And CC DeVille's at the end. And, and he was playing a solo and threw the guitar and pulled another one out from behind his back and kept going. I'm like, He's I'm four. That's rad. <laughs> and, and I want to start playing guitar. You sound like uh, you would have a great voice to be a rock DJ as well. Uh, it's, it's a, yeah. It's is, it, a, is it an Agnese trait? That yeah, I, I think it must just What be. was the station name? Is it well, he had a, a variety of stations. Uh, he's, my dad's actually in the uh, Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Cool. But he hasn't been on air for a long time. He kind of got into the back end of radio and stuff. But there was uh, a lot of classic rock stations and country stations and Jazz to, uh, station. Could we could we get could we get a snip if you like straight to camera? Could you get you you're listening to Anderson's and then at something, but in a in like a proper Agni 
This is Mark Agnesi, and you're listening to Anderton's TV. You got to get that. Get the bass and the voice. That's how the professionals do it. Absolutely. So, uh, four years old. um, Where did you grow up? Because you're not. I grew up in a small town in Northeast Ohio called Wadsworth, Ohio, which is like a suburb of Akron, Ohio. Right. Which is actually a great rock town. A lot of a lot of great rock bands came out of the Akron, Cleveland area. And, and how, so how long was it before, you know, your first, you, you've seen this band, you've kind of got the bug. Did, was you, did your dad just get you a guitar straight away? So? No. So there was, a, there was a store called Akron Music, um, which was, right, did you guys have TJ Maxx out yeah. here? Yeah. Uh, TK Maxx. Oh, different, uh, different like, name. Uh, this, this, basically this, cheap clothes. Yeah. That there was the, the shopping center that there was a TJ Maxx and then there was, Akron Music was like right next to it. And my mom would always go into TJ Maxx and I would always like sneak away and go into, into uh, the music store. And I was maybe six or seven years old. They probably hated to see me come in. And, uh, but I would just walk around. I'd love to hear the, the sales guys talk and just be kind of just around the conversation yeah. about all this stuff. And look, and that was where I, you know, I saw my first Karina Flying V from the 80s there. And it was like uh, at that particular time, it was like the late 80s, early 90s. That was like all the designer series, Gibson. Like everything looked like a Scorpions music video. <laughs> everything had stripes and cool like graphics and stuff on it. And I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I think my dad just finally bought me a guitar. I just, I just wouldn't shut up about it. And it was, it was like I just... And, and I, who, did, I, who did you want to be? Did you want to be CC Deville, or is it like kind of? Yeah, <laughs> I set the bar pretty high right out of the shoot. Um, I liked I, I liked all that stuff, and then, but I mean that was like Eddie Van Halen's yeah in the prime right then. So it was like you know the guitar god at the time. I was like yeah that's and Metallica was that was like right when the Black Album was coming out. So right. like Kirk Hammett and Eddie Van Halen at that time were like those were my guys. Cool. And so from getting the guitar, did you? You know, were you naturally talented off the bat? Now? Or you know, definitely not. No, <laughs> no, definitely. So no. What, what yeah. happened musically through your sort of teenage years? Then you, you well, I mean, I started taking lessons like you do, and you learn chords and stuff, and then you get bored with it. And and uh, then Van Halen came to town, and uh, my dad, you know, at the radio station, we always had tickets to oh, stuff. So and I got to go backstage, and I met Eddie Van Halen. I got my picture taken with Eddie Van Halen. And watched him play that night, watched him do the guitar solo. And we had really, you know, I was like right in front of him watching him do it. And that, the next day it was like, it was on. And, right. And then it just, just practice, never, practice, never practice. put it down again oh, after cool. that. And did you go through any kind of music college or what, you know, did you try and have a career as a as a No, I pretty much stopped or? taking lessons at that point and just started learning songs and started playing in bands and started making records and mm-hmm. started doing all that stuff. I did go... Uh, to a school called Belmont University, which mm-hmm. is in Nashville. Uh, I made, which is a big music school. Yeah, but yeah. I, I actually majored in music business um, instead of music. Right. Okay. Um, well, which is why I, I don't know. How to, <laughs> I don't know any technical theory. I can't read yeah, music. Yeah. I can't do well, any of that. So stuff. That, that, that's interesting because so even at a relatively early age, were you aware that maybe the music industry, as far as a player is concerned, it's it's only ever really that top half a percent of people that you know, and you wanted a broader. I just sort of education. I thought if I get a degree in music, that is not going to help my chances of becoming a rock star any more than, I see. than anything else. So um, I just uh, I, I focused on the, the business side of it and the marketing side of it and all that kind of stuff and stayed close to it and kept playing. I feel like I have just the same shot as any of the kids that are majoring in music. But yeah. 
I actually have a degree. Yeah. When I get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Music, uh, uh, mu- uh, useful music business degree is anymore. Oh, well, wow. Which is funny because when I got there to study music business, um, my freshman year is when Napster okay. came out. So that was poignant. So my, my four years through my music business degree like was when nobody knew what was going to happen. This is yeah. pre-iTunes. This is yeah. pre-iPod. This is yeah. like we were figuring out like, how can we make money on ringtones? It's all about ringtones. That was like, you know, it was like before the whole industry as yeah. we know it now. So it was like... Uh, and was, was that... So was there a, was there a period in, in your life in your, in your 20s where you were just making a living from being a guitar yeah. player? So no, I... I, I, I can we when find I, some amazing footage of you in a band? There might the... still be some stuff. I just did sideband gigs. I played with all sorts of different... I played country music. I played blues. I played rock. I played whatever. I was in three or four bands at a time. That was like when I moved to L.A. And it's like, it takes a lot of $75 gigs to to pay rent in L.A. Yep. So, yeah, you got to stay <laughs> busy, yeah. which is kind of how I fell into the... you know buying and selling guitars and then ultimately how I fell into into music retail. So so from Belmont you moved to LA. I moved to LA. Um, we had a satellite campus there that I did my last uh, okay. my last semester in and then we flew back to graduate and never never turned back. And, right. Uh, just moved to LA, didn't know anybody, didn't have any money, didn't yeah. have anything and we just started my uh, I say we my, myself and my best friend uh, Josh we both uh, moved uh, from Nashville to LA. So, so what was the what was the transition then between uh, you know sort of thinking you might try and forge a career as a guitar player, but then beginning to realize that you know maybe your talents lie elsewhere, and as you say, you started getting into the buying of things. How, how did well? That I started. I got my first music retail job at a store which is no longer there called West LA Music. Um, is that not there anymore? Yeah, it's quite a famous store. It wasn't was it? Uh, at the time. Um, I got a job at the guitar department. I be, ended up becoming the manager of the guitar department. And my whole point of, of working in retail was: if I work in a guitar store, I'm going to meet yeah. some other people, and that's how I'm going to get in. And, and and it worked. And after a couple of years, I had enough uh, side man stuff going. I'm like, this is it. I'm done. Okay. I'm out. I'm going to. Yeah. I'm going pro. Yeah. Good for you. And that lasted, you know. <laughs> six seven months of of like i need to figure something else out so i that's when i kind of started getting into the buying and selling and flipping as kind of just a way to to supplement my income yeah yeah, yeah. uh, on the side and uh then the the main artist i was playing with uh called it quits and that was right around the time i was i was trying to find a gig and and on craigslist it was like vintage guitar expert uh, look, looking for in, in the valley, and I was like, in the in the valley, it was, it was norms, right? And I went in, and and uh, I knew nothing about vintage guitars. Oh, okay, nothing. so all the stuff you've been buying and selling before was, was just, all just, just recent, new, new, right. just new stuff. Yeah, you know, the Jimmy Page, Les Paul would come out, and you know, my friends at West LA yeah. would give me a deal on it, and then yeah. I'd stick it up on eBay and and <laughs> try and move it, you know, kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah, really, I kind of faked faked wow. my way into that. Was Norms as sort of well known then as it is now, or yeah, but in a different in a different, in a way. different way. There wasn't really the internet presence that it is mm-hmm. now. But Norms Norms was one of the most famous yeah. guitar stores still back then, especially here in Japan. And I mean, yeah. magazines and art. I mean, there was so much stuff about Norms. It just hadn't crossed into the into the digital. What did you manage run. to What did you manage to say to Norm then to convince him to give you a job if you weren't kind of expert? 
Well, I mean, he was going through models, and I, you know, I could, yeah, that's a, that's a that, and that's a that, and yeah, it was mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, cool. And I think at that point, he just needed somebody, and and, and I became the general manager of the store and, and started getting my education and in, in the, the nuance of yeah. vintage guitars. I knew the models and I knew yeah. all that stuff, but but the nuance of the of the details of year to year and all that kind of stuff was was really on the job training. Um, was that because I I get the sense that. So what's, what year did you start in Norms? To, uh, I'm about, uh, my 10, 10 year anniversary of working there is a couple, if I would have stayed okay. there. So I, was, I started working there in, in 2009. Right, so the vintage thing was already at least 10 years into its thing, wasn't it? At it that was, point, it was, it, was, it was big it was, already. It was big, but it was depressed. That was kind of right around That's the right. financial the, the crash, uh, crash yeah. mm -hmm. and all the prices yeah. had, had kind of come down and yeah. there was some stuff in the store that, we were upside down in yeah. because just, you know, Les Paul Juniors were going for like $12,000 and then all of a sudden they were worth five again, you know, yeah. and we were yeah. paying 7500 for them because they were worth 12. And yeah. So there was a, that first year was kind of a, a an adjustment period, but that's how I got to know uh, a lot of European dealers and, and Japanese because yeah. the, the dollar was so <laughs> worthless at yes. the time. 45% yeah. of our business was... All export. All export yeah. going overseas. Um, so what care. was it about the, you know, can you remember, you know, your early days at Norms and just what was it about Gibson that stood out over, you know, all the other vendors and Martins or whatever that you're buying and selling that? It's just a level of, of see, I don't, want, I don't want it to sound like negative about other things, but there's just a level of craftsmanship in comparison where we, well, especially on vintage guitars, when you look and you see that, the carve on the top and the and the, the dish around the outside and you see all of the different things and how they age and and my first day on the job norm pulled out a sunburst les paul it was the first time i ever yeah. got to play a real yeah sunburst les paul i ended up selling it to joe bonamassa about eight years later <laughs> but it was like the mintiest burst that i've still ever seen all the tags all the everything in the case and it was i got to play my first sunburst les paul there and then hundreds of 335s and, and 345s and 330s and, yeah. and, and everything. And it's just, you know, they really, in my opinion, in my humble yet informed opinion, are, are just really the, uh, yeah. the most incredible guitars that were ever built. Well, that's, I mean, and I kind of like, you know, I kind of like the fact that the, the, the journey... It's always great. I think, you know, some kids grow up wanting to be train drivers or footballers or whatever like that. But it's, it's kind of cool to sort of see this journey of, of just, you know, you didn't end up at Gibson and then start liking them because that was the job, you know. It's no, like, yeah, the, it's the, been a, a pretty much a lifelong obsession with the company. Mm -hmm. I couldn't afford to buy one. My, uh, my, I don't think many people working in guitar stores. <laughs> my, my wife, my, my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, but yeah, lock that down. But she, our very first Christmas, she bought me a 57 gold top uh, for Christmas. She's that a keeper? Like, yeah. Lock that down. <laughs> and I still have it. It's still the benchmark guitar. I've had, I've probably had 25 other Gibsons since then, and, but it's still, that's, that one still nice. doesn't keep me from buying more. <laughs> or pursuing or, or questing for something more but it always that is the the benchmark guitar I've still yet to find yeah. one that gets better than that one what, what were some of your you know favorite times at, at Norms and, and, and also as well you know how did you because you again 
you were one of the early adopters of YouTube to, to promote uh, norms. So, you know. The, the whole thing started with the reality TV boom. We had a, a bunch of companies kept approaching us about okay. doing a reality show. We, we, we actually had three different production companies film like what they call a sizzle reel to, to take yeah, to yeah. networks. Um, one of the, the, the last ones we did uh, was really cool. We, uh, we went to Steven Seagal's house in Arizona um, because he has, a, well, he has a lot of celebrity on guitars, but he has Jimi Hendrix's, one of Jimmy's Fender Jazzmasters. Right. So part of the thing of the show was we were going to go authenticate this uh, Jazzmaster. But like, I was at Stevens. I played that Hendrix guitar. I played Albert King's Karina Flying V. Mm -hmm. I played the Lucy Flying V. I played uh, Gatemouth Brown's leather-covered reverse Firebird, or non-reverse Firebird. I mean, there was so much, so much stuff um, there. That was one of the coolest things. So, yeah, we kept making all of these shows, and and it just wouldn't get picked up. Right. So then it, somebody who is a, you know, we're in LA, a lot of our customers were film and TV producers, not just mm-hmm. rock stars, but a lot of industry people. And someone says, well, why, you know, why don't you guys just uh, do it yourself? Start your own channel. Yeah. And we're like, ah, the hell, ah, how do you do that? And we didn't know how to do that. So, I mean, we just started making videos and a lot of it was when a celebrity would come in, which was often, we mm-hmm. would, yeah, we make a video. And, yeah. and, and, and for whatever reason, People would say yes, and we started doing that, and that um, started to take off. And it was a few years of that before Guitar of the Day ever really became right. a thing. A thing. And, and, and what it became was not what I intended. It, my, my goal was like, it was supposed to be called 60 Second Sales Pitch. Yes. And I was like, I'm going to talk about it for 30 seconds, and then I'll play the guitar for 30 seconds. Yeah. And this is still when Instagram was only 15 second video yep and uh when that changed to 60 seconds that's when everything kind of changed because everyone was always complaining oh i wish you'd talk about it more uh, when well, i wish you'd play it more and go through all this stuff and then when instagram became 60 second it's like okay well then we can do this a little more long form and then we can make a 60 second edit mm-hmm. uh for for youtube but the my focus was it has to be every day yeah and it has to be at the same time every day and it has to do it has to just be a consistency that at six o'clock every day a new episode will go yeah. up and we can't we can't miss it which to my own detriment that ended up being i i, I set that whole thing up to just kill myself <laughs> but it was yeah what i mean did it instantly have the impact on sales that you, I mean would you literally do the guitar of the day and then that was it that later that day or the- not at the beginning but yeah it did it turned into that and That's you know crazy, once you yeah. have several hundred thousand subscribers and you have one vintage guitar it just yeah. it only takes one one yeah. out of those couple hundred thousand people yeah. to to pull the trigger on it so yeah. you know there was a lot of you know the second you walk in the next day the phone starts ringing how much is it uh, it's 7,500 bucks. Uh, let me think about it. How much is it? 7,500 bucks. I'll, I'll call you back. How much is it? 7,500 I'll take it. And it's gone. And then the guy calls back. You still have anything? It's like, no, nah, man, it's gone. You got to act fast. That's and great. then, you know, it was getting to the point where three or four out of the five guitars every week would be gone, you know, the next day. Yeah. When did you, it, it felt like before the, you know, towards the end, uh, 
that maybe you were going to do your own thing and ditch the whole norms thing anyway? Or was that... It was never meant to ditch it. It was just going to be... Uh, I wanted to, to try something else um, for guitar players to have some other kind of content to watch other than demos. Mm. Because, like, my wife doesn't want to watch <laughs> guitar demos. But if there was a show that was still kind of guitar related but kind of music I might be able to convince her yep. to watch that and I figured other people had to maybe be in that and and that's where the Mark Agnesi show came from which which was a, a, a horrible disaster I'm proud of it I am very proud of it I think time I, I'm proud of it because of the guests yeah I'm like the guests that I got to come do I, I actually did eight episodes six of them okay. uh, only got released I had an episode with Tyler Bryant that never came out, yeah. and I had a, an episode with Adam Slack from the Struts that never came out. But I mean, Jerry James Nichols and and Daniel Donato and mm -hmm. Nick Perry, Taylor Goldsmith, Larkin Poe, and and Mrs. Smith, who you guys gotta get Mrs. Smith. Yeah, Mrs. Smith I think we, we we know the the guy called Randy Wilcox, who's the guitar player with Mrs. Smith. Uh, we know reasonably well. But uh, yeah, I think we do. I don't even know if Mrs. Smith comes to the UK. Uh, but yes, we'll, we'll get that set. We, we need. We need to get. But it's like I just wanted on. to do like a variety show. Yeah. For guitar fans and and at Norms, I mean, you guys have like the production value and stuff. We just had a camera with the mic on front of it, so I was like, we'll do the camera with the with the mic on front of it. I mean, it works there. We'll do yeah. it here. And and getting rock stars to come over to your home is tough so I figured if we knock out all the interviews first then I can piece together the show and we'll have all the interviews and we put the first episode up and everyone was like the sound sucks you can't hear anything and it's like oh well, we already we already filmed all eight episodes of the interviews so I like, can't really get any better than this uh, and then it just kind of became like this this thing but I, I am still proud of it but it was uh, yeah it's amazing how fast the production values spiral you know as you say and I think because of the nature of, of the kind of videos that we all are making I think in the, you get one shot you get one shot to, to film it yeah. so if later that day or the following day you're running it back and just going oh, it doesn't sound great does it it's like you, that's, 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 that's it. what it is it's so, thrown it hasn't it yeah when um, everybody started the comments started being about how bad the, the, the sound and everything was I was like oh man well <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it anyway and, and you know because I just had to learn how to learn how to do it but sometimes my ambition is is a little greater than uh <laughs> than the uh my talent I, or my uh or my yeah, production but, i think uh, you have to i think you have to uh, you have to aspire to something and i'm also a massive believer on youtube that that for us it's uh we're, we're content is the most important thing and the production value of it is almost driven by necessity. It's almost like, you know, if, no. if, if the content is good, there's an expectation that the production value should be good. But the reality is, if the content's crap, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, matter how, good how good it looks. The yeah. production value yeah. is. Um, yeah. it, it must be a, it must feel like a massive responsibility now that you're there to manage this deep affection that, they're not, are they even customers? They, they, they cross that line between a, a fan and a customer, don't they? We, we call them fans. Yeah. They're our fans because they really do have a, like a, a vested interest mm. in the success of the company. And, 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 and there's a lot of people, you know, passion can go either way. And there's a lot of people who passionately dislike the company. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, it's just, you just have to accept that and you can't read too far into it and you can't get upset about it because there's, again, everybody gets a voice. And I mean, a lot of the, the biggest critiques of the th- is about the price. And it's like, you know, it's an aspirational brand. Mm-hmm. Gibson is a high end well, brand that, like I said, it took, I, I was 26 years old when I got my first Gibson. I started mm-hmm. playing guitar when I was seven. Mm. You know, it took me 19 years to get my first Gibson. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, I, that's, you know. And I, and I think as well that, you know, the, the, the loudest voices on social media are not representative of what the what general you, public is thinking. Yeah. It's just. It's, they're it's passionately just, engaged. It's just whoever and, wants to yeah. shout the loudest about yeah. something very positive or something very negative. But it, I, we don't find that it's indicative of kind of a mood, if you like, of yeah. like a normal mood. Um, but so, so what was it like then, the, the, the day of the phone call? I mean, who was it, JC or Cesar or who, who phoned you? Well, back to the guitar of the day thing. Right. Cesar it was a, a guitar of the day watcher and, and what, what I like to call a regular victim. You know, <laughs> I, I lit up his Amex on multiple occasions. Oh, okay. and, and we kind of became friends through that. And he reached out to me and said, so something's going to be happening with Gibson. And uh, we're just trying to figure out. Yeah, I, I have two kids. We were talking about our kids mm-hmm. earlier. And, you know, retail for me had kind of run its course. I'm sick of working on Saturdays. Like, you know, life happens on Saturdays. There's birthday parties and soccer games and stuff. And it's like my wife was definitely sick of me working on Saturday. And I was doing a show five days a week and I never missed an episode. I hadn't taken a vacation. I still haven't taken a vacation. It's been like five years since. I was just like... Five days on, two days off, five days on, two days off, five days on. And that means her schedule is five days on. Two yeah. days. And, and, you know, it was it was just getting a lot. And so I reached out to Cesar and said, you know, what do you got for me, man? What what? And I think it kind of took him by su- surprise a little bit. Um, and it was like, uh, I don't know, just hold tight. Just just hold tight. And uh, next thing I know, you know, I'm having lunch with, with JC and Cesar in Beverly Hills somewhere. And we're kind of just talking about stuff and. And then it was right before the NAMM show. So I said, why don't you come out to the showroom and check out the new stuff? So I came out and I got to see the new collections, the original collection. I got to play the new Les Paul Standard. And I was like, oh, this is, this is, this is it. And, and then they kind of they hit me with the job. And I was like, I still thought I was going to be in L.A. Right. And then that was when they kind of let me know. Oh, we got some other things, too, with the job that you know, you're going to have to be in Nashville. And it was like. I believed in it, man. I wouldn't have. I mm. wouldn't have moved my family all the way across if I didn't believe in what uh, what we have what we have going on right now. So that was that was kind of how it happened. So, so what is the um, you know that you do, do you are you consciously is this sort of day to day role thinking about the now and looking at you know this is this is this is what social media looks like now and this is the way in which I think Gibson needs to be represented through those channels or or is it is it much more strategic and thinking what even is the platform we're going to be able to communicate via? I don't even five years deal with the social media stuff. Right, that's not my job. We have a whole we have yeah. a person that handles socials. Content is something I've always been interested in, and something that that half of my time mm-hmm. goes to. So I've it's just about to the point where we're about to start releasing it. Yeah, 
um, we we've started with one of the the the, the um, things that I've been producing is a this series called My First Gibson, mm-hmm. which uh, I was just telling you like it. We've come to find that I'm not the only guy that's got a crazy story about how I got my first Gibson guitar, and almost everybody who has one that first experience of getting one is a is a fairly significant yeah. moment in their life. So we've started kind of capturing not just our artists, but um, actors and you know, movie stars, professional athletes, yeah. chefs, people who, who are guitar collectors, guitar buyers, and we've been kind of cataloging everybody's stories of how they've got their first Gibson. I mean, we've had people break down in tears telling the story. I mean, it's highly, highly emotional stuff. Um, so that's one of the series that, that we started with, and, and I've got three or four other things that are in the works that are about to start coming out that again to just content most all the content i'm doing has absolutely nothing to do with selling gibson guitars yeah you would if you didn't know that gibson was making it you'd have no idea that it had anything to do with trying to get people to buy gibson guitars yeah so uh, i think a a bigger part of it is just henry wanted it to be a lifestyle company and he thought that would be a lifestyle company by by buying consumer audio brands i I think we're going to become a lifestyle company through content right Um, and then build great guitars you know and back it up so So, that's kind of so what's the and what's the other the other 50 percent of the role then the other 50 percent of the role um i can't talk about yet there's something i it's still (laughs) your secret i still haven't released it yet but it's you uh, work for fender in the other no that's with a wig on or something i do i do have a role in in a little bit of product (laughs) development stuff and marketing things and they have me in a lot of 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 that stuff too and i've i've spoken up about a few things and then there's some things in the pipeline that are really really cool that i'm very very proud of but um there is a uh something in nashville that i'm working on that uh, will be kind of a first for the industry and definitely a first for for me as well uh but uh, i've just kind of started that and more will be revealed on that come nam show oh, that's um, exciting now winter yeah winter okay, so not far um i wish i could tell you all about oh, it's it fine. I'm so i'm so excited about it but it's just we haven't we haven't really released uh what it is yet but it'll be something to do with gibson presumably. yes so it'll be something to do with you... all with all gibson brands Right, you know, Gibson oh, awesome. custom Epiphone Kramer, and we were talking about Kramer. We were hanging out last night. We were yeah. So I have you know most of my thought process is not on Gibson right now because Gibson is is firing really on all cylinders right now. We got the product mix right, and it's just trying to keep up with demand at this point. And doing a terrible job of keeping <laughs> up with demand, I, if I do say so myself. Yeah, <laughs> I, you know, for if you read the, the, the stuff on the internet, you'd think that we're still bankrupt but man you go in the warehouse you can you can see yeah. to the other wall yeah. there's no stock in there but there is none right now my excitement is about epiphone and kramer kramer's i mean that was when when we hit winter nam because it's kramer and steinberger were always even through the penry you know rain we're always in the catalog but usually with zero effort couple of crappy low price models then that was it just that was it yeah. you know um and the, when we went to nam and we obviously this winter nam and and right at that time the whole takeover was still pretty fresh and we were all yeah. excited about meeting jc and cesar and all that kind of stuff and the, the nam stand was like whoa this is 
completely different level to what Gibson have done at the NAM show for the last few years. As you say, there's no consumer audio products. There's no they were s- even there the year the, before. You yeah, know, exactly. Skip, there's man, no sunburst speakers. Speak. It's like, <laughs> what are you model. doing? Yeah. Um, but uh, Epiphone was like, okay, somebody's taking Epiphone seriously because there's like 10 new artist models and you know some serious players here that are putting their name behind that brand. And then the next table, which, which was just like, and Kramer's properly back. And it was just like yeah. looking at all these. And I, you know, guys will know I was a massive um, Richie Sambora fan. Still am a massive Richie Jersey Sambora star. Fan. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sort of going, there it is. You know, it's, I remember all that. Um, and I'm super excited about that. Uh, and even Steinberg, Steinberger, sorry. Um, you know, you're sort of looking at going, God, you know what? It's like we, we were talking last night. It's like the headless thing in that progressive kind of yeah. metal kind of stuff is just massive and yet there it is there's Steinberg the, the original headless, headless design yeah. that just needs a couple of tweaks to the body shape you know but ergonomic not ergonomically like functionally it's got the fantastic bridge it's the you know that so I'm I'm excited that you know and it's that's all it really needed was a it just needed a bunch of real guitar fans with a vision to get behind this wheel again at Gibson and go yeah uh, Epi- wait, wait, did, did you keep Valley Arts or did that go? Valley Arts is no longer part of right. the uh, of the mix right now. Because that was the only other brand that I just felt again. It was never massive, was it? Valley Arts, but it kind of it had a boutiquey kind of appeal. And no. but Gibson didn't do anything with that. With so. Yeah, Epiphone. I'm so excited about. Right. It's uh, people don't don't understand Epiphone, and it and it's and it's our own fault or the way that it has been branded, but like. When people think Epiphone, they just think it's like, oh, just like a cheaper, crappy version of Gibson. <clears throat> it's like it, Epiphone is older than Gibson. Epiphone was far cooler than Gibson in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. I mean, they were the hit brand. We oh. were the, you know, <laughs> we are made in Kalamazoo, Michigan. They were made 14th Street, New York, and they had all the cool jazz guys, and they had yeah. cool names, and they had cool models, and, you know, it's such a cool brand. And then when you get into Gibson's ownership of Epiphone in the late 50s, they had this whole line of iconic models with you know, Coronets and Wilshires and Crestwoods and casinos and Rivieras and Sheratons yeah. and then all the flat tops. Um, and we had the Rolling Stones played them. Keith Keith played in the Beatles and, and the Kinks and in the in the, the and yeah. it's just we have a, a whole iconic roster of artists and nobody the, the awareness of Epiphone mm. is low and we're gonna we're gonna yeah. change that. I think everybody probably 40 years or younger will just go Epiphone's like Squire right yeah it's like Fender has Squire yeah, and Gibson it's like Epiphone. they completely don't know the, the brand yeah. story and the yeah. brand story is is it can, well can over I, a century old can I petition for I've got you I'll put you on the spot here now can I petition for Epiphone to be allowed to go like higher up I still think Epiphone gets its ask. well there's that I don't know in America what the the, the price translate to but in that sort of like $500 to $1,000 or £500 to £1,000 where Epiphone kind of doesn't really go it's sort of it's like such a missed opportunity for me to make an unbelievably high spec but Far Eastern guitar and it almost seems Gibson would rather make a very low spec USA model to fill those kind of price points than a really high spec I've, I've got to look like either this is all being edited there's out there's so much or, stuff that I can't talk is, about man there's so much stuff that I cannot talk about so this yeah. is, is Winter Nams I'm going to be super stoked to be on the Gibson stand at Winter Nams is that what you're get saying get ready for 
what's coming with Epiphone. I, like I said, my excitement right now, I get up every morning thinking about Epiphone guitars. And I want everybody out there to be thinking about Epiphone guitars. You have Epiphone too. morning glory, is that I what do. you're saying? I do. I wake up in the morning and go, oh, and that's fantastic. It's going to Epiphone. <laughs> what a thought. It's such um, an iconic brand. Just it, where, where Gibson is iconic and aspirational, Epiphone is iconic and accessible. Yes. And, and we just need to, we're, and we are putting the focus again on the, the, the right mix of products and at all at all price points for sure at all price points let's just say well again i i I think in fairness you know if you take a product like squire classic vibe you know that that brand has kind of established itself as a a really respectable affordable guitar there's no reason why um actually i'm probably being a bit unkind i actually think the the current epiphone let's play the the jared james nichols yes it's six hundred ninety nine dollars. Like, dude, that guitar is that's a great insane. Guitar. Yep, you're uh, right. Um, so, well, and the Bonamassa Firebird and the Bonamassa Amos Flying V and all of those guitars are just absolutely. I, I remember killer, when that, that killer uh, guitars. Firebird, the the Amos Firebird came out, and everyone was like, "Ah, oh, Joe Bonamassa will never play one of those." And I went to see him at the Albert Hall, and he does like two or three numbers on that guitar, and you don't sit there going doesn't sound as good as all the other guitars. It's just like, it yeah. sounds great. Yeah. So, There's nothing wrong with it. Those cool, guitars man. are killer. That killer cool. guitars. Uh, what's your favorite guitar kind of in the current lineup? And we should really talk about this. Oh, the slash double neck. The, 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 the guitar that we've had to have an armed guard standing by. Again, one of those things that I'm days. not necessarily sure if we're talking about yet, but <laughs> Don't they wait. sent you one and we have it on a well, stand. And, and so this, it's... I, I promise I won't release this video until this is, uh, this is a reveal. But look, we've got some custom shop stuff behind us. Yeah. So two big the, things. The, the 60th anniversary Les Pauls. I've yet, I've yet to see one that I didn't just go, oh, dude, look at that. And we're doing them in 10 different colors. Which you go ten colors, but like literally every single color I've seen looks amazing. The tops have just been spectacular. The plastics are great. The you know, and and they really are. They're they're exact. Like I mean, over the over the last decade, any original Sunburst Les Paul that would come through Custom Shop gets a, a digital scan of the top and gets a digital scan of the the neck profile. So, because people were going, oh, they don't carve the tops enough. And it's like, oh, you don't know anything about vintage guitars, do you? <laughs> um, so this particular guitar, um, or, or, or all of the 60th anniversaries, are based off of uh, Joe's uh, Carmelita. So this right. is this is the exact same Because it does feel like a slightly as, shallower cast as, than, than, a, than again, you've seen in other they all, they all They're all different, man. Right. So uh, that is the neck profile from Carmelita as well as the, um, the top carve. Um, which that became the spec for the 60th anniversary. But man, they're just nailing you, you them. Grab the tobacco burst one because I mean, look at the the flame on that. If that's yeah. your thing, like it's real, God. real. Yeah, there's no plain stripe. tops on yes. the um, on the new 60th anniversaries. They're oh. just absolutely killer. Um, the pickups, the new the new um, burst buckers that they're putting in there, the unpotted Alnico threes are they're really really good. What's the is the is the concept of collector's choice just done now or will you that ran its course um but a lot of what came out of that which was Mm. great was the attention to the details like the 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 plastics yeah and the composition of the plastics um getting the 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 roll on the binding Mm. right on the neck and uh, the 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 real uber nerd stuff that guys like us care about that that kind of attention to detail I, i liked the fact that 
almost every single guitar had its own unique sound because I guess the pickups were from an era where they were all being scattered around different numbers of lines. Yeah, yeah, and and what I liked was um, I know certainly in the past you know you were able if you had a particular collector's choice that you tried once and went oh that had this magical sound you could spec through made to measure yeah you, know, you have can a still Paul, all, but like, have the again, ones that were on I that collector's choice I want the top carve from yeah. Nikki or I want the neck profile from Donna or I want I mean we have all of that stuff you can yeah. through made to measure dude you can you can get as as nerded out as you want and we'll nerd out with you I mean that's that's what literally half of my day is spent just nerding out on stuff. Oh, so what's better than one guitar? Yeah, we, two we, guitars. We were, we, we were having fun. That is, it, was the original concept of, of the double neck just to what you should have is just both of them as a six string, and then if you open the case and the headstock's busted on one of them, you've still <laughs> you've got the other it. You got the <laughs> second <laughs> one to play, and and you know just make this really super long, so in no way, shape, or form is it susceptible. As you can see, it's got the simulated head. head I mean, well, hey man, what do you want? So come on, I mean, I guess. Everybody watching this will probably be going, I know the answer to this already, but tell us the story behind this then. So this is the new Slash EDS-1275 based on um, the guitar that he used through most of the Use Your Illusion um, tour uh, in the 90s, which was a 1966 um, EDS-1275 that was refinished in black. Um, We nailed it, man. And he was... I was with him a couple of weeks ago when he was in here uh, signing all of them, and he's really, really stoked on this, on this guitar. He likes it more than his original one. Just thinks it sounds better <laughs> than the original one. And how many of these did you make? I believe it's like 125 of them. Right. Okay. Which to see 125 double neck guitars yeah. all in a row was it was pretty it was a pretty cool well there's going to be 125 uh lucky slash fans and they're all they're all signed uh, every they're, they're, we didn't do like a vos run and they're all aged they're all signed um well i'm fairly sure uh this one is number 28 and this i believe is the very first one that came into europe i don't th- uh, i think you guys might be the first so this yeah, is for people. sale if you're quick and then i believe we might be getting another one uh but yeah, number 28. If that's you that ends up with this, you can keep this video as a memento and go, oh, I like that one. Yes, I, I think you're going to have to be uh, one of the uh, more um, cash-rich Slash fans out there. But uh, if you've got a spare sort of, I don't know, nine or ten thousand uh, pounds lying around, burning a hole in your pocket. I highly recommend it. Two necks yeah. for the price of uh, one. Yeah. Um, yeah, when you do the math, it's really it's pretty good. It's like 4,500. Exactly. Um, well, look. Um, I think we should just end up with we'll we'll have a we'll have a bit of a play. But yes, if you could pick one guitar out of the entire Gibson range at the moment, what would you? What's the one out of USA or out of custom? I'm gonna even if go, it's custom, it would be one of the 60th anniversaries. If right. it's USA, I gotta be honest, the TV special is probably my favorite guitar. I don't know how much they are over here. They're 15.99 yeah, in 12, the states. 13, yeah. See, I fell Dude, in love with the, the single pickup SG. We the did a bit. SG we, Junior is, we did is, the we did all the juniors and specials in one yep. kind of video, and uh, yeah, the TV yellow Les Paul. But this, for me, I picked up this single pickup SG, and it's like it's, it was like made of paper mache or something. It's like it just yeah. didn't. Wait and if you anything. had it, if you had it next to a vintage 1963 or 1964 SG Junior, you wouldn't be able to tell which one's which. It's one of those ones that it's, just it looks identical guitar. to the original. <sighs> They're fairly inexpensive and they're just killer, killer guitars. And uh, 
the guitar that uh, is out there somewhere for you and if money was no object, what, what would it be? What's the best, best guitar when you were at Norm's or where, you know, ever? I have uh, an 80s Karina Flying V, but um, the real the real Karina stuff. I've probably played about six or seven Karina guitars, including Amos. I, mean, I sold Joe the Amos guitar at Norm's. And, um, Was that the some of the special run 80s? I have one of the, uh, yeah. Or like the 80s, where they did the set of the Modern, the yeah, Explorer. Yeah, yeah. And I, have, I have the V... I got mine from John Shanks, uh, and John got it from Joe Satriani. So that guitar's got some some good That's provenance on it. Slightly weird in that the only time I've been to Norms, which I went out with Rob Chapman and we filmed some video, and it's you know they might have, that was literally the guitar that Norm was getting out. I got this sort of general idea that he would have bought them in '85, put them in some sort of lockup, and then he did 30 years later of sort of get. Yeah. And that and it was that we were playing those guitars. I'm fairly sure we were playing that, those guitars in that video. Um, and that would have been about three or four years ago, maybe. No. Weird. So that really... I a, love it. But the original... I mean, we actually have, uh, uh, at Gibson, we have an original 58 Karina Flying V right now. And I play it whenever it's possible. So that would be the one. Whenever I see that wedge-shaped case in the corner, I'm like, go plug this in again really quick. Awesome. Those are, I would take it over a burst. I'll take a Karina V over a burst. In my opinion, the Flying V is the most iconic electric guitar wow. of all time. And I think it's the coolest. If you put 10 guitars on a stand and you told your kid, which one, is, which one of these is the coolest? <laughs> I guarantee you, every child in the world would go over you and pick the Flying right. V. You might be right. Well, there's a debate for the comments section. There you go, debate that. Um, What's the most iconic guitar show? Well, look, man, thank you so much for this is so your much fun, authentic dude. honesty. You. Yeah, there you go. It's been absolute pleasure. Uh, there you go, look, Gibson 2019. It's a new era for, for this company. You've got some amazing people working there, making some amazing guitars. Epiphone um, 2020, hashtag. Hashtag Epiphone, Epiphone 2020. Get ready. You heard it here first. Right. See you later, guys. Thanks for watching. Peace. to our latest podcast if you enjoyed it hit that subscribe button see you next time 